around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are Advancing Infrastructure. Welcome to a special edition of the Engineers Collective. I'm here today with my usual co-host, Alexandra Wynn. Hello. And uh, today we are joined uh, by a special guest, uh, Bentley Systems Chief Product Officer, Bupinder Singh. Hello. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Welcome Excited to be here. Today we are talking about the digital twin. Much talk around digital engineering in civil engineering today. But today we kind of want to unbunk a few myths around what the digital twin actually is, what it can do, who's using it, and where it can go next. So, I guess, let's start with the basics, Bupinder. What is a digital twin? All right, I got to debunk the myths then, uh, Mark. It it is, the first principles are that there are multiple digital twins. So there isn't the digital twin. If you think about an infrastructure asset that's going to be designed, built, and operated over multiple decades, over that entire period of its existence, you can imagine hundreds, if not thousands, of digital twins for various aspects of that workflow. So that's that's the first principle. And you can think of digital twins during the phase of the project delivery. So we can think of project digital twins, perhaps. And then while the asset's been built and it's operated, you can think of performance digital twins and how information flows from one to the other is what our life's going to be all about as a software technology vendor. Exciting stuff. Simply put then, is it definitely not CAD and it's definitely not just BIM? It's definitely not CAD and it's definitely not BIM. Thank you, Alex. Mm. So uh, I infer the question to be then what is it? Mm. Yes. Uh, so just give you a, a brief history lesson. Uh, I began my, my career w- during the CAD disruption. And if you look back at what CAD did, was it took what we were doing on paper and did that on the computer, right? So whatever you did, you drew on paper, you're going to draw on the computer. That was sort of the CAD, but then it was digital. That's pretty cool. That worked for a while, and then they found you could do more with the computer than just you know mirror what you were doing on paper. And then we had the BIM disruption, which was think about 3D models and the whole information element to things. And that disruption lasted us a while, and we sort of uh, healing that off. And you think about it as to what's the promise today that BIM isn't delivering? And if you think about that, I think there are two fundamental elements that BIM is missing. One is context, because if you think about a BIM model, it's floating in space because every piece of infrastructure exists somewhere on the planet. And where it exists on the planet plays a key role in its performance. So adding that context effectively, efficiently is what you'd expect of Digital Twin to have, right? What's the context that you're operating in? And the other is the, the, the concept of time, chronology, because there's nothing static about the physical asset, so there cannot be anything static about the digital twin, whereas a BIM model is a static model. So adding the dimensions of context and time is what can make a BIM model become a digital twin, 
And that digital twin then has a characteristic of being uh, open and live is sort of a mindset that you think that that's what you're aspiring to with a digital twin. So what sort of projects are, or programs are embracing the digital twin concept or twins concept today? It's, a, it's an interesting question because uh, when people you know, took you know, a decade to get educated about BIM and what is BIM and how do we get started, we're sort of seeing the same thing happen with let's define digital twins, what are digital twins and how can we get started. So if I told you what was missing with BIM, which is context and chronology, to just use you know two Cs, context, there's a massive disruption happening around context. And what I mean by that is, think about going out and surveying what's existing already. Traditionally, you would have all this manual surveying to capture that existing reality. Today, that's got completely digitally disrupted. So you can go out there with a handheld scanner, with a consumer camera, capture images, capture laser scans, and in a matter of hours and days, get an engineering-ready reality mesh with engineering precision to then use in your downstream workflows. And that's happening whether you're starting a new design that's happening whether you're you know, already in construction or that's even with an asset that may already exist that you want to have an operational workflow. So capturing existing reality through Bentley's Context Capture software, for example, which is both available on-premises software as well as using cloud infrastructure, that's you know, hundreds of users, you know, thousands of accounts are adopting that disruption on the one hand. The other was the element of time. And uh, last year we acquired this uh, company called Synchro, which has the ability to bring in, take your static BIM models and look at your uh, construction schedules and link them together. So then now you can play like a time machine. You can go forwards and backwards in time and see where you're at. And they're being used on real world projects such as the Bishopsgate example in, in London, where they are trying to accelerate the construction of this commercial building and they're going bottom up and top down at the same time if you'd imagine that they couldn't do that without the technology and the disruption that's coming from using software like that and this gets cooler still because you've partnered up with uh, microsoft to use their, their new hololens 2 technology to, to link right. with this haven't you? and now if you if you think about all the innovation that's happening around uh, video games and immersive virtual reality and augmented reality, that's when our professions become cool, right? That you can strap on one of these uh, weird looking helmets and like, the, you know, I'm not calling the Microsoft HoloLens weird, but you can imagine uh, wearing these, these immersive devices and the compute on them has become rich enough. The networking bandwidths have become rich enough that you could stream real time to them and you could combine and converge information from multiple sources and have this immersive experience where you're looking at uh, your construction site and you're seeing physically what's there through the lens but you're overlaying that with other information that's been aggregated through this open and live platform and you can move forward and back a slider to say oh, this is what we're going to look like tomorrow this is what i need to have on site and you can play the sequence 
through this immersive environment. So it's almost a gaming experience to then explore multiple scenarios and simulate different scenarios, right? What if we got this in? How can we compress our schedule? So you can do a lot of simulation because you have access to this digital twin during, during construction. This is the part that's pretty exciting, I think, that we can start to make the case and the story of civil engineering much more easily to the broadest range of users and people that need the intervention of civil engineering, I suppose. That how much work is there really to keep doing on making sure that you make it as simple and as viewable by the masses as easily as possible, but also then layer on the complexity that you need for the real sort of technical side of delivering a project yeah it's it's a great uh, point you know making our profession and as a proud civil engineer and uh, computer scientist the uh, the profession has had a connotation and image of a hard hat and a construction site and I think when you want to appeal to the Millennials and the digital natives that have grown up playing video games uh, if you can appeal to their sense of uh, you know, sustainability and them wanting to make the planet a better place and tie that through construction and civil engineering. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, uh, quality of life for all of us is directly proportional to the quality of infrastructure. And we take that for granted. They take it for granted. They turn on the tap and there's clean water, you know, depending on where you are in the world. But if you can make these sort of tools available to them, uh, make these sort of simulation scenarios available to the industry at large. I think there they can be an inflection point for all of us where this technology does become more pervasive and really helps the industry at large. That's the promise. Good. Now, so you've mentioned the Bishopgate example already, but what, what other examples are there of this kind of this being embraced? And I guess I'm thinking particularly in, in the infrastructure space where we have a reputation of being a bit risk averse, a bit cautious when it comes to adopting new technologies. Who's kind of trailblazing and starting to really embrace this? Well, it's uh, what's fascinating to observe as, as a global software company is, is the traction with technology around the world, right? In, in the developed world, you have a lot uh, to fix. I was reading somewhere or listening today that I think 63% of the signaling in the UK has to be replaced in the next five years or something like that. But then if you think about, I don't know, maybe some other statistic there, but you think about the um, emerging markets where they need to build new infrastructure, take China and India, for example. So China is, is a country where they are embracing digital in a huge way because they know that's the only way for them to leapfrog a whole generation of doing things the other way. And why not take advantage of all the stuff that you have available today that you didn't have 10, 20, 30 years ago? So you're finding, we are finding uh, large infrastructure projects that are exercising the most modern technologies in, in the Chinese market. Uh, we are finding high-speed rail projects around the world that are you know, putting laser scans on the front of these locomotives, driving it down the track, capturing existing information, and using that for operator training, right? Can, how can you train the operator, simulate what you had, you know, think about flight simulators for pilots. You can have operator training for the train operators that can sit in these virtual environments and be able to uh, have a much more safer, uh, you know, rail track. 
uh, construction, I'll give you a specific example where there's uh, projects now that are flying drones and capturing their construction sites on you know weekly, daily basis and building these construction digital twins. So their construction trailer isn't reams of paper. It's this massive digital touchscreen where people are seeing a digital twin off their construction site and making informed decisions because they can rely on the fact that it's the veracity of the information is true. So, because if you have, the thing about a digital twin is fidelity is at the heart of it, right? If you don't trust the information, then you won't make the right decision. So therefore, fidelity, veracity, those are all elements of what you expect from a digital twin. And having that as a fundamental tenet of your platform is, is what uh, we aspire to deliver uh, from Bentley Systems. So do you think that potentially with Digital Twin playing its part, it bridges that gap between BIM not really seeing the uptake in asset management in real life sort of operational time because so many of the asset owners or facilities management people have their own systems, they can't quite work out how to integrate a, a sort of as-built BIM model into what they do today. Do you think Digital Twin opens up more capacity to make it usable and more adoptable by those that are maybe seeing it from a more rigid, you know, this is not how I normally do it kind of perspective. And uh, that's that's a great point. If you think about uh, sort of people misuse this term single source of truth, right? And, and if you think about the multiple sources of truth, depending on what your role is as a person in the infrastructure profession, so you made the mistake of getting to be, that's why I made a, at pains to point out at the beginning that it isn't the digital twin, just as there wasn't the BIM model. Because if you thought of the BIM model, then you have to hand that over and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, then it falls over on its side. And who owns it? Who, what's, a, what's the veracity of it? And what's that got to do with my procurement system? So if you think about digital twins and the whole idea about federation and change management, then the idea can be, uh, how do I federate change that's happening during my BIM process? What aspect of information during that phase is relevant for a downstream facilities manager? They may be interested in nothing to do with the 3D model. They may be interested in some semantic information about the area of the floor plate. You know, depending on whatever business use case they had, what they want to know is, Please connect a digital workflow to me and propagate the changes because change is happening all the time. So to us, it's all about change management, federating change, and converging three information from three sources. ET, which is the engineering technology, that's sort of the heart of your engineering performance. Then there's IT, which is your procurement, your IT systems, and then there's OT, which is sensors. So for a digital twin workflow, you need all of these three sources of information mashed together and federated. So there isn't the BIM model or the digital twin. So it's all about digital workflows that can integrate and federate and propagate change across these three sources of information. Well, I guess what there is, and what's crucial to it, is open accessible data. So and that has been a problem in the past. Um, I know there's lots of work going on to make that open. I know there's work going on in, in, in rail, um, with the rail sector deal to particularly to, to open up data um, 
on on rail train performance rail performance to to anyone who wants to use it um i know for a fact bentley you're making data available so talk to a little bit about that it, it's a bold decision that uh, we've made last uh, year to open source and to create an open platform for our solutions for digital twins and a cloud solution with cloud services driven by a recognition that the promise of digital twins can only be realized through sort of open and live, live platforms. And in the, in the long run, we firmly believe that an open system will win over a closed system. That's just a fundamental belief we have. And you think about it from an asset owner's standpoint, why would I make a business decision about operating my offshore plant, my rail system, based on a proprietary lock-in format? So you think about an infrastructure owner, they would want to make a decision about their information platform to operate their digital asset for the decades that it's going to be operational based on a data platform that's going to be open and can react to multiple disruptions over the decades of technology, not hostage to a particular vendor's data formats where they may not innovate with the pace with which the industry needs or they may not even be in existence you know when you're looking to make a new addition or expansion to that particular piece of asset so being open and live i think we've really embraced that vision internally i know it's uh it's something that uh we believe that there'll be a thriving ecosystem of innovation based on uh, imodels and imodel.js which is our open platform and itwin services which is the cloud services through which Bentley's uh, uh, you know, digital twin value proposition is going to be brought to the market. And we are seeing take up uh, today already with companies that have been uh, adopting this and third party ecosystems that are being building, building on it as well. This open data point is so interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's a sense that, I wonder if it, we've had discussions with other people, it might be a, almost a generational thing where, um, people have previously been so concerned about commercial sensitivity of information or competitive advantage by giving anything away. Maybe we just need a little bit of time to go by before that sort of newer, slightly more open mindset, people are more used to sharing information publicly through social media that enter the workforce. Think of it as not a great trade-off or a bad trade-off to give away information that actually allows people to benefit from that knowledge certainly uh the information value is exponentially uh you know increased by the number of people that touch it number of people that enhance it in the software industry uh, open source has, has taken a life of its own for for those of you who've been aware of github and uh, the amount of open source software that's available not just from Bentley systems, but if you think about the Microsofts and the Googles and the Adobe's, all these large software vendors are really embracing this mindset and innovation is coming from so many different sources. And I think that's a, a, a sea change that's happened on the software industry standpoint. If you look at machine learning, for example, AI and machine learning is all the rage that people talk about. The best libraries to innovate and train data sets on 
uh, open source libraries that have been contributed from the Microsofts and the Googles that the rest of us are leveraging. I think the same thing should apply to infrastructure. Why not, right? The beams and the columns and the bridges and the trusses should all be in an open SEMA, open semantics uh, with an open information platform. And then we can all make uh, our revenues from enabling digital workflows around them, but not sort of locked into the data structures. Absolutely. One one thing that I wouldn't say concerns me, but I think it, it's sort of it's it's a, it's an interesting challenge. Is this is very different stuff. It's, as Alex says, there's a difference in mindset as much as anything else. So there's 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 an upskilling need here, isn't there, to sort of bring people on this journey to be able to properly utilise this kind of new way of operating. And I think it's interesting. So you'll remember Bupinder. We had a had a had a roundtable discussion a, a few weeks ago, uh, and around the table we had I think it was about fifteen, eighteen kind of people who will be absolutely leading the charge in this sort of this new era of of digital twins and and, and digital technology. And and for those of you listening, you can. So you can see who those people were by, by reading the, the report in New Civil Engineer. And what was interesting is when we asked those people around the table how many of them were civil engineers, I think it's about five, wasn't it? Five or six people put their hands up. You and I put our hands up, yes. and, and, and about three or four other people did. So that's and you know that's happening. That's real. That's now. That's you know those these, those people were serious people who are going to be are, are delivering infrastructure projects, but using digital technologies to deliver infrastructure projects. So. You know how 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 is that's going to change the the status quo quite considerably potentially of the, of the skills of the people, their, their qualifications, and I guess their 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 kind of their their CPD their learning. So where, where do you see that going? Is there still a role for a civil engineer like you or I? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I do I do think that uh, there is a certain uh, skill and domain of uh, knowing how to. Uh, make sure that your structures stand up and are safe and, and there's certain uh, accreditation and you know sealing and stamping and vouching for the veracity of information. Now, as, as an engineer, I may decide to use a software tool to be more productive and that doesn't mean that my value is any less. I, you know, I'll give you an example. Let's say that I was a structural engineer, I am a structural engineer, and I had to design... Uh, you know, a, a rail bridge. Now I could do it by hand and I'll get one done in a week, let's say. If I use a software tool, maybe in a day I can explore seven different alternatives. Now what does that mean? Do I Just because I have a software tool that can design the bridge, does it, does it mean an engineer is not needed? I don't think so. I think the engineer's value proposition shifts and, and provides higher value. So I do think that as a profession, as you have tools, you can focus on higher value things as sustainability. Think about you know carbon and think about other things that you can think about with respect to safety, resilience, and spend your time on those on those issues as opposed to the nuts and bolts of the engineering tasks at hand that can increasingly be either be automated or you know given through different types of software solutions. I, I do I absolutely think that our future is going to be able to add more higher value activities. And uh, I, I don't think our profession is going away anytime soon. Just diversifying in a good way. 
but uh, well, absolutely. But uh, uh, I'll be ready for it though. How? Uh, yeah, is your average civil engineer ready for this change? Well, I do. I I would I would love to see uh, more innovation in our educational cur- curriculum. Uh, I think that uh, it's not a left brain or right brain mindset that we need from the digital natives of the future that are able to combine traditional engineering with traditional, you know, liberal arts kind of things, because that's where true creativity happens. And I do think that the more we see that in our future, that the more creative solutions will come about, because at the end of the day, we need more creative solutions, because we we uh, need more infrastructure than we can afford. Yeah. What do you, what, um, so, because we've talked before about this, haven't we? You know, this this kind of broadening of the skill base, this left brain, right brain thing, how we don't just need plain civil engineering. Not plain civil engineering. That's terrible, terrible thing to say. Traditional Classic. civil engineers. That's a better word. Traditional civil engineers. We need a broader skill set. Um, so what kind of kind of things do you think, what kind of sort of broadening of, of skills are, are going to be coming into the curriculums? Well, certainly... Uh, Fundamentally, within the uh, logical stream, you'd expect almost everybody to be able to be uh, coding, right? That's just something that you'd expect that today, if you are a civil engineer or if you're listening to this podcast and you're considering civil engineering, uh, you'd almost expect you to be able to you know, write programs. And that's, that's an element that you'd expect uh, to be trained on, yep. right? On the other hand, I think that uh, creative problem solving with constraints, right? You think about uh, creativity and design thinking and outside-in thinking, where because in the real world we always have constraints, and one of the challenges that you always uh, complain with engineering is you don't think of those constraints often enough, right? When you have a constraint, whether that's money, whether that's space, whether that's time, how can you problem solve within those constraints? And I think that's where you can bring in creative thinking and design thinking. And uh, I think that's where the marriage can really happen. Before we, um, bef- before we finish then, maybe a couple decent examples of, of where you're beginning to see some of, the, some of these things we've been talking about come together and be adopted. You know, using a bit of the iTwin technology possibly, a bit of the um, broader open data thinking. So I'm, I'm thinking of examples like I believe like, like East West Rail mm-hmm. here in the UK. That's that's an example I think, isn't it? Where sure. where some of your kind of contributions are really being sort of brought together to to help a project. So let me uh, sort of uh, wrap up by giving you uh, some examples within this because I, I want to make sure that uh, your listeners understand that the the transition to digital twins is an incremental thing. Yeah. So you're going from CAD to BIM to digital twins in an incremental fashion. And the examples uh, from what we're seeing with adopting these kinds of uh, services from uh, from where we from where we sit. If you if you if you think that uh, with an open and live platform and a cloud platform, what can you do during design, for example, is uh, near continuous design review. If you think about the traditional way you did design review, oh, what's thirty percent submittal time? Let's all get everybody in one room and look at our designs. And then, oh, it's now sixty percent. Think about continuous design review, because you want to capture a change that could be disruptive at the minute that it happened. So I'm an engineer, and if you think about 
how we collaborate today on an idea. We instantly connect to people, right? I want you to check this out. It isn't at 30%, it could be at 26%, it could be at 37%. So the whole East-West Rail example is, how can we create almost this ad hoc review? I want to invite a bunch of people together right now and have them see what I'm seeing in 3D and collaborate. That's a project digital twin workflow that's possible now because of the, the capability of the systems, right? Great example there. I give you the example on the construction side where you have construction digital twins because you have drones and handheld cameras getting you the as-is situation on the construction site, mashing that in with your time and everything else, right? Now you think about uh, example workflows with inspections where you could uh, run rail track, you know, transmission towers, you are not sending people down the tracks, but you're sending drones and looking at image processing and machine learning that can recognize antenna, that can recognize the signals, that can recognize even the corrosion on those signals and compare that corrosion to two months ago and flag to you, hey, listen, this is a, an alert to you that you need to go and do something now because you've got this inspection workflow that's now enabled through these digital twin services. And then you think of operational use cases where people now have asset performance and are able to have a, veri a verifiable digital twin with fidelity that they can immersively rely on the fact that this is exactly what we have on our operational site, whether that's a substation or whether that's a rail track or whether that's a chemical plant. And I can look at the operational history of the sensor data combined with the engineering data and make an effective decision before it was a failure, right? So predictive asset management through immersive visualization is workflows, our workflows that are being supported today. If you want to know more about this, it's perfect timing, is it not? Because in just a, a few months' time, the Year in Infrastructure Conference, run by Bentley, happening in Singapore from October the 21st to the 24th, has the theme, Advancing BIM Through Digital Twins. Well, I'd love to uh, make a plug for that as well. As, as we like to say, it's our favourite week of the year. We get to live our life vicariously through the wonderful projects that are done with our software solutions by our users. We get to see the best of the best that are judged by independent juries. We have nothing to do with the decisions that are made, so it's as much of an exciting surprise as anyone else when we hear the winners and we get to hear from our users directly as to what it is they're able to do their, their challenges, their successes, and it's a learning experience for us as well. And uh, I think all of you would uh, find it really, really exciting. I've already had a glimpse of some of these entries and without giving anything away, it has been thrilling to see what is going out there globally. Fantastic. And of course, if you can't make it to Singapore, you can always find out more by going to bentley.com. Easy as that. So thank you. Thank you, Bupinda. Thank, thank you, you, Alex. And uh, we will be back in a few weeks' time with the next episode of the Engineers Collective. But until then, thank you very much for listening.
This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. Valued for their depth, breadth and scalability, Bentley software solutions can help you gain insight from the data you create and coordinate, improve decisions and achieve better business outcomes. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Your organization may already be going digital, but if it's struggling to embrace change or realize the benefits of digital technologies, Bentley invites you to gauge your organization's progress by taking one of our going digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going digital.